All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you as I usually do from New York City. Uh, this is June 18th, 2019. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to invite you to keep your questions and comments coming along. The questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do need to thank our sponsors for this show. Otherwise, we would not be having this show, would not be talking to you now. Klondike Gold, Novo Resources, RN Resources, and Strike Point Gold are our current sponsors for turning hard times into good times. Today's guests, uh, Ronald Peter Stoffel, Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver, all return. Peter and his colleague, uh, Mark Valak have published their 2019 annual In Gold We Trust report. It suggests that a world awash in debt is sitting on the edge of a disastrous financial abyss. As such, there are growing cries, at least from some people, for a return to an honest and uh, an honest monetary system and an exit from the fiat counterfeit system that is responsible for a world heading towards another financial disaster. We'll ask Peter to explain uh, the market and social dynamics that are driving this growing urge to return to honest money in the form of gold. As well, we want to know how the bankers and governments that profit from gold market manipulation through futures market trading are likely to respond. What are the market factors that may force a return to honest money despite objections of the status quo? And so I'm really looking forward to speaking with Peter. So many things to talk to him about. Uh, it is a book that I think it's a free of charge uh, book that you can order and download on the internet. We'll ask Peter uh, how you might do that, but it's just there's way too much to talk about today. Uh, I think we're going to have to have Peter back uh, to address many of the topics that are in that 300 some uh, page book. Uh, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me after um, well after the first commercial break to update us on the progress of Novo Resources that they're making in Western Australia. Most importantly, I want to ask. Quinton about the significance of the recently announced $30 million agreement with Sumitomo to be applied towards moving the Agena project towards production. Novo's shares are way below their 2017 highs of around $8. Uh, that was uh, in response to the initial discovery, the novelty of which has worn off. But the notion that the Pilbara Basin hosts and other Whitwaters ran like gold deposit is still very much in play as the company now digs into the establish, in, into the, uh, to establish the economics 
um, and the prospects for that gigantic conglomerate gold system that stretches for hundreds of kilometers. So really looking forward to hearing from Quinton and, and the latest, especially with regard to the uh, agreement with Sumitomo, that uh, world-class uh, gold mining company that is now going to be working with Novo Resources. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you once again, we are so privileged to have Michael Oliver with us once again. And I would just uh, urge you to jot down the website. It's olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com. Go there, learn more about Michael's service, and I think he probably has some free goodies there as well. But go there and take advantage of what Michael has to offer. You know, you're lucky to be able to listen to Michael's thoughts here free of charge. But if you really want to take advantage of what Michael has to offer, well, you know, you usually get what you pay for. Uh, and here, in this case, you get a little bit more than you pay for. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you. Uh, Michael, I want to start out today by uh, passing along a question from a listener. A couple days ago, a listener to this show sent the following message, and I quote, I listened today to your latest interview with Michael Oliver, as I do every week. Some months ago, Michael suggested that after the downturn in gold, that it was going to be a major struggle to get back into the 1330 area. For some time, it went down to a 1280 range, and I thought Michael had made a mistake and seemed unwilling to own up to it. However, in thinking it over, maybe Michael was quite right that it was going to be a struggle to get back over 1330, but be that as it may, it has returned an apology is now in order. We are now at 1335. As I said, this was written a few days ago. We're higher than that now. Uh, we are now at 1335, thereabouts, and again, struggling to rise up from there. I don't recall what he said or might have said to get from 1330 to 1360, but he did say in January that if we got through the 1360 area, it was going to rapidly move towards 1500. Can you ask Michael if he still feels that way? Uh, the next time you meet with him. So uh, we're meeting with Michael now. What are your thoughts, Michael? Do you still see a $1,500 gold possibility if we get through that 1360 level? Oh, yeah. Um, the uh, It's a price chart level. We All the momentum work that we do, long-term momentum, annual, quarterly, and so forth, uh, has broken out. It, it's positive. It's already long been positive starting in February 2016 when gold went through 1140. And then when we came up off the August lows of last year, which were down at 1161, we issued three separate buy signals, one at 1200, 1240, and 1280 on the way up. And the only thing left now is literally the technical breakout of the price charts. And this anybody can see if you get a weekly or a monthly price chart, go back to about 2014, and you will see all these rally highs that crested somewhere in the mid-1300s. It's almost a flat line. Mm-hmm. So it's a bleeding obvious structure, okay? Every asset manager in the world who's not in this market is looking at that line and mm-hmm. realizes if it gets crossed, uh, he's going to have to make a decision, be there or be out of it, uh, one or the mm-hmm. other. And so it's a, it's a very interesting price chart structure, and we it's a valid one. It's not, uh, you know, a lot of price chart breakouts or fakeouts. Uh, this one we uh, view is, is a valid pending structure and one that should gush on the upside. Uh, we ran up quickly to it from our May low. Back in May, we were still grinding in the 1280s, 1290s. On the last day of the month, we had a number that we didn't think would be engaged until June, but it did it in the last hours of May and broke its monthly momentum out to the upside and gushed to the upside. We went from 
below 1300 to 1340 50 in a matter of about five or six trading days. Mm-hmm. In fact, that was the most rapid ascent in gold in several years over mm-hmm. such a short span of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, but once we got up there, we were overbought, especially if you reference short-term type indicators, including mm-hmm. our momentum indicators, very short-term. So you were, you were too hot to keep going, so it's best yeah. pause. We did. Now, there was a day last week, I think it was last Friday, where we were up and we closed about 20 bucks off the high. And I think somebody uh, at that point said, oh, it's another dumping by some manipulator. Yeah, uh, That's another popular issue out there among gold bugs is that uh, somebody's manipulating the market by dumping gold, especially in the night session, electronic session, massive quantities of contracts in order to control the market. And uh, anybody who's been around these markets long enough knows that while that might be true, ultimately it doesn't halt reality. You mm-hmm. might try to delay it, but ultimately if you play that game, you're probably going to lose and if you just pause and think about it for a minute, over the last several months of retrenchment, which was really the most modest gold retrenchment we've had of any of the highs that reached up into the mid-1300s of the last few years, this one was the most timid from February mm-hmm. through May of this year. Uh, but there were a couple instances there where during the night session there was a, a dumping, apparently, mm-hmm. of contracts. Or at least it felt to look like that. And it looked like somebody trying to manipulate it. Mm-hmm. But if you sit and think about it, uh, there's, if somebody sells gold futures, even if they sell them in a million ounces at once, okay, uh, mm-hmm. they either have to, one, be selling existing long contracts, there was taking profits on a prior long position, okay, which meant they bought it before they sold it, or they're initiating a short position. Mm-hmm. Now, if they initiate a short position, anybody who dumped into the gold market over the last three or four months of the retrenchment process and did it in one of those dramatic, you know, intranight things, mm-hmm. they're losers big time, unless they covered those short positions at some point. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, if they shorted at all those given levels, which are well below us now, uh, mm-hmm. they're dead and buried. Mm-hmm. We're 1340, 1350, and a lot of those sales occurred in the high 1200s. Mm-hmm. So... I feel sorry for those folks. <laughs> and so if you're a, a conspiracy-oriented thinker, uh, think again. Because if they did it and they didn't work, and ultimately it did not work, obviously, uh, then those guys are hurting pretty bad. Or they were exiting a long position and have missed out on the upside. So either way, the guys who dumped the gold got hurt. Now, mm-hmm. it, it, it takes me back to the late 70s. During the bull market from the 1976 low in gold to 1980, during especially 1978 and 9, the IMF was dumping gold in uh, mass. In fact, they yep. sold over 50 million ounces. Not a million ounces, 50 million 50. ounces in repeated auctions that were scheduled, some unscheduled. Uh, and anyway, those initially had a negative impact on the gold market when they occurred. You would see the, the market would sell off. But after mm-hmm. a while, those auctions those dumpings of gold, had a zero impact. In fact, the gold market ate it up and just went right through there. <laughs> I remember that. Okay, and we're talking quantity there, 50 million ounces, not a million. Uh, and it wasn't just future, it was real gold. Okay? It was real so, gold, right. Real gold, well, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, it was real sales, they weren't conjuring it up. And yet the gold market ate it up and went from you know, $103.50 at the August low of 1976 to $850 in 1980. Uh, so reality will prevail, 
And I feel sorry for anybody who might have bumped gold over the last three or four months of correction because they lost no matter which way they did it. So yeah. gold long oh, yeah. and smile. <laughs> yeah, my guess is that uh, some of the major bankers probably were in there covering at the right time or close to it. But be that as it well, may, at longer term, you're right. If you held that position, you'd lose your, you'd lose your fanny, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't very strategic. Uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm very comfortable with gold. I think what we need to do now is maybe congest between now and the end of the quarter. Part of that conclusion we've come up with, it, and I could be wrong on that issue. We might go ahead and ramp ahead. The T-bonds look like they want to ramp ahead, and gold is yeah. sort of the same category as bonds. It's an alternative investment. But uh, the thing we're looking at is the dollar index, and the dollar index is poised, in our view, for a sharp downside. It's been dull for 10 to 11 months now, basically either side of 97 on the dollar index. We think that's about the end, and therefore that the foreign exchange markets, dollar and the euro inverse, are about to become noisy players in world asset categories. And um, that would no doubt help gold, although we have to admit a firm or steady dollar since August of last year has not been an adverse impact on gold yeah, at all. That's right. Gold has done very well. Michael, in, in about 30 seconds, what do you make of this, uh, the relationship between the T-bond and or the uh, treasuries in general uh, and the equity markets? I mean, normally we would expect yields to rise as equity prices rise, but in fact, yields are collapsing. Uh, which market has it right? I think the T-bonds have it right for the moment, meaning uh, we turned bullish on T-bonds in December last year at 141, mm-hmm. and they're trading up in the 150s now, and we think they'll go to 160 probably at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, the few, we're talking T-bond futures. Uh, it is an asset class shift. It, it, sometimes T-bonds will rally sharply if there's a very sharp collapse in the stock market. That happened in late 2018, and recently in the May drop, the T-bonds took off again when the S&P dropped in May. Uh, but despite the S&P rally, the T-bonds won't give it up. And what that indicates to us is the flight to yield, even modest yield that you can get out of a 10-year or 30-year government bond, yeah. uh, is solid. It's not impressed by a stock rally. There was uh-huh. the people who were buying bonds and moving out of stocks aren't saying, oh, I get better get back in stocks. No, they're persistent. And the T-bond action indicates that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think if the stock market rolls over again from whatever point, and by the way, you know, the S&P right now, for those who are cheering and beating their chest about how great it is. It's all of about a percent higher than it was a year and a half ago. Wow. Go back yeah. and look at January 2018. Mm-hmm. We're 28.82, okay? Mm-hmm. We were there yesterday. Going nowhere fast. Uh, going nowhere fast. Yeah. In other words, it's going nowhere fast, and that, that yeah. in itself says something, you know. All right. We'll have to leave it go at that, Michael. Thank you so much for your insights. Very valuable, very helpful. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, uh, we got to go to break, but don't go away. Dr. Quentin Hanning of Novo Resources will be with us to give us an update on what's going on with that company, especially I want to ask him about the uh, recent announcement with Sumitomo, in which Sumitomo uh, is agreeing step-by-step uh, step to go along to help uh, put the Edgina project into production. They're committing upwards to $30 million to make that happen. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Quentin Hanning. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. 
In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold Project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Strike Point Gold, trading under SKP on the TSX and STKXF on the OTC, has a market cap of under $10 million. Strike Point is a new player in the Golden Triangle of BC and Canada. Focus will be on drilling the Willoughby Project in 2019. Prior drilling delivered over 20 meters of 25 grams per ton gold and 184 grams per ton silver. Recent receding glaciers have identified new gold targets. Neighboring projects have been acquired by Strike Point's largest shareholder, Ascot, Eric Sprott, and Skeena, round out the other top shareholders. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Dr. Quentin Henning with me once again. Quentin is the executive chairman of Novo Resources. Thanks for coming back uh, with us today, uh, Quentin. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, Jay. You know, you've had some pretty exciting news, I think, although the market hasn't responded very much to it. But I think I'd like to get your... I'd like to get a better understanding of what's going on with your agreement with Sumitomo Corp. And that, uh, as it applies specifically, I understand, to the Edgina project. Can you provide key details regarding Novo's agreement with Sumitomo and also explain why you think the market may not be paying sufficient attention to this, uh, to this news release? Uh, you know, I would say initially there was uh, a lot of, uh, you know, maybe confusion, if not just getting caught off guard, I guess, is the best way to put it amongst investors. Um, I, I've done a few interviews and talked to, to various people uh, to explain the this agreement. I gave them a bit of the history. You know, we've developed a relation with Sumitomo now for about uh, three or four years. Uh, we actually signed an MOU with them regarding Beaton's Creek back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Sumitomo is uh, a very interesting company. It's really uh, basically a finance group. Um, they have interests in many different industries, many, many different interest, industries, not just mining. Mm-hmm. This is not Sumitomo Metal Mining. This is actually the sister company, which is uh, bigger. Okay. Uh, now, most companies, mining companies that Sumitomo Corporation deals with are, are big companies, you know, Newmont, Tech. You know, companies like that. So for them uh-huh. to team up with Novo, uh, you know, basically a junior mining company, is exceptional. The first thing, point I would make. Okay. Uh, the second point I would make is that the guys at Sumitomo are long-term committed. They like to make projects work. They are always aligned with the company. Uh, they, they have good technical people who help. Uh, they like to put their money to work to make a mine successful. All right, so here comes uh, Edgina. We have a very interesting pro- project, lots of potential. 
but it's got challenges. It's uh, it's going to require some you know unconventional means, like a lot of the things that Nova works on, to advance it. Uh, we are doing bulk sampling and so forth. But if you look at the, the big picture, we as Noble stepped back uh, a few months ago, asked ourselves, what is the best way you know, that will give us the best chance of success to make this project work? We didn't want to say cowboy, okay, go out and try to build a small mine, you yeah. know, slap things together. This is not the kind of environment you want to do that. You want to have a big vision here. And Sumitomo's vision fits ours. We want to see uh, a large scale commercial operation out of it, provided the the data that we gather along the way. All right, so we're basically doing, uh, working on a project that requires near-term exploration, like, you know, this is just basic boots on the ground exploration work, as well as uh, elements of engineering, uh, native title uh, discussions, we have uh, environmental permitting that needs to be done. You know, these are these are big lifting items. These are things that usually take uh, a lot of time and money. But mm-hmm. we decided by teaming up with Sumitomo that we could work together, basically use uh, funds from Sumitomo, uh, while Novo remains majority uh, owner of the project, and and we can work together to advance it to commercial production. I mean, this is an exceptional opportunity. You think about it. Uh, this was nothing more than a, a twinkle in God's eyes a few months ago for us, and we've taken a project that we acquired for you know a, a few million dollars, and we've now created something on the order of 110 million Australian uh, million Australian dollars in value uh, through this this venture. I mean that's that's exceptional. So mm-hmm. it, as far as uh, you know, my my overall view on this, uh, love working with the folks from Sumitomo. I think we will work very well together. Uh, I see us fully aligned to make this into a successful endeavor. Uh, we will overcome the various risks. You know, we'll overcome the, the issues around putting a resource together on this. We'll, we'll negotiate native title. You know, we'll, we'll try to figure out a processing scheme in a dry environment. You know, these are not small tasks, but we will do it together. And I would say our chances are, of success are extremely high at this point. With Sumitomo being able to help bankroll that, and that makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, you've, you've got three projects there. Essentially, you have Beaton's Creek and Comet Well, which was, of course, what gained you so much attention last, well, two years ago. Uh, what, is, what is it about Edgina that uh, is causing you and Sumitomo to focus first on that, on that project? Well, there's a, a few aspects. Firstly, it is free dig. So this is a gravel horizon that sits right at the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who followed this last year, we did our first bulk sample there in, in November and December. We got some initial results that proved encouraging. Uh, it is a, a project that can be advanced fairly quickly. It's a granted mining lease. That's a big help. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but those heavy lifting items I mentioned are also at play here. So it's, it's like I said, a hybrid between an exploration program and an engineering program, mm-hmm. really. Uh, but see a path where we can move this forward fairly quickly. The, the agreement we have with Sumitomo is staged. Uh, each stage has certain benchmarks that we, we hope to achieve, you know, as far as uh, seeing the grade there, seeing the continuity, and then the, you know, the subsequent stages have to do around 
uh, ability to process it and, and you know, define a resource, things like that. Uh, but ultimately, we, you know, this this strategy that we have holding hands with Sumitomo will get us to the finish line. Mm-hmm. So, uh, can you talk about those stage uh, those stages along the way? I mean, you, you, first of all, you are you going to try to build a resource? Uh, because I know this is an unusual kind of a deposit. Uh, are you going to try to build a resource? That was one question I have for you also. Uh, are you able, do you think you'll be able to use a sorting technology that you, you've confirmed probably uh, would would work at Comet Well? But would, would it be appropriate also uh, at, um, at Edgina? Those are both very good questions. Firstly, the resource, yes. You know, Agena is basically a large, vast alluvial system. Uh, I think that if we use conventional alluvial approach, we can come up with a resource for the, the deposit. It's going to take quite a bit of sampling and, and you know, over an extensive area to, to do that, but I think we can make it work. As far as processing technologies, you know this area is dry. You know, if we wanted to go out with a large trommel right now, we couldn't do it. It's, it there's not enough water. You, you mm-hmm. can drill water bores for the rest of your life and you never find enough water. We need uh, solutions that allow us to process material in a dry environment. And ore sorting is certainly one that we're looking at. Uh, Initially, we thought maybe this isn't the best way to go. But lately, we've been talking with Tamra, who's, you know, very keen on our projects because of the ability to pick poor school. So Tamra is right in line with us. Uh, we, I will be talking about this at the conference later this week. Uh, we do see opportunity to use ore sorting as a means out here. There's other things we're looking at too. I would say there's at least three, we'll call it dry techniques that we're going to look at. Sorting, we'll look at rotary air concentrators. This would be like dry blowing is what they call it. Uh, and then thirdly, we're going to look at dense media separation, which is a low water or no water uh, you know, means of processing material like this. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to be able to come up with some sort of a concentrate and, and, uh, and, then, and then mill it, right? Uh, that's correct, yeah. Basically, the concentrate would be gold. So we, uh, we, we uh, see, a, you know, see the concentrate being a high-value high product. Right. Uh, okay, so what about some of your other projects? Um, what about... Uh, Beaton's Creek, for example, what do you have planned for that for that project? I know you've got a resource there, nearly a million ounces, relatively high grade for near surface, the oxides anyway. Yes. Okay, so we have our option study underway that's near completion. I expect a report on that sometime next week. Uh, once we finalize that, we'll present it to the market. Uh, we also see uh, a path forward because Sumitomo has allocated Five billion yen, which corresponds to roughly sixty-five million Australian dollars, to help us advance that project. Oh, okay. That's in addition to the thirty million they're talking it's, about for Regina. It is, Jay. It's that's what I can't emphasize enough how valuable this partnership is. Mm-hmm. You know, from being an exploration company working on, you know, what what was at one time very conceptual uh, geological theory, and now we're we're moving this thing towards production. I mean, how how awesome is that? It's just mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, okay, what about Comet Well? Look, uh, I, yeah, I won't leave that hanging. So, uh, Comet Well, we have, uh, we're, we're strategizing on the bulk sampling process. We talked about this about, uh, I think, about a month, 
month or so ago. We talked about the strategy of bulk sampling and where we're heading with that. We are going to seek approvals for that and look at processing, you know, probably or sorting as a means to undertake that. So that's that's well within uh, the you know the scope of work this year. Uh, we do have native title negotiations going on. Nelma just hired a new CEO, so that's re, you know reinvigorated the process there. Mm-hmm. We have lots going this year. We have a great team in place to do all the work. Rob and his team down in Perth, is, they're absolutely fantastic. You can't give them enough credit for all the hard work they've done. Uh, getting back to Edgina, uh, can you give our listeners an idea about the timing? I mean, what do you expect to accomplish this year, or, or hope at least to accomplish this year at Edgina? I would say by the end of this year, we would like to see the uh, enough data to tell us whether we can put a resource to this thing, uh, whether the continuity and the grade are there. We're going to do a test area within the mining lease. And then we'll start stepping out from there. So I would say by this end of this year, we'll have a picture of whether this is an expansive deposit or not. We'll also have some elements of uh, permitting as well as Aboriginal negotiations completed by that time as well. Okay, excellent. Uh, just uh, real quickly, Quentin, with just uh, you know about a minute left here, you're also involved with another company that I follow, Irving Resources. It's a very exciting story in Japan. Could you spend 30 seconds to a minute to tell our listeners about that? Yeah, you know what, Jay? It is an amazing discovery. We're drilling the first target Omu Center at the Omu property in northern Hokkaido. Omu Center was probably the most conceptual or you know early stage target of all three that we have on the property, and we hit a high grade. Second hole assays 118.5 gram per ton over 0.32 meter if you look at it in context of other discoveries in japan the initial discovery at hishikari was 0.15 meter at 290 gram per ton we are on to something i don't know what it is yet but i hope it's it's big i hope it's high grade that's our our main focus at irving it's an absolute pleasure to work with the kiko levinson uh, i'm technical advisor he was of course the president and ceo uh, we have Newmont in as a new shareholder. They are helping with certain technical aspects, particularly with uh, the geophysical work at the moment, as well as a few other, you know, very detailed technical things. But that focus is giving us the ability to now target, uh, you know, almost like a laser su- surgeon, these uh, these high-grade veins. So I would expect over the next few months to see a continual stream of news uh, and hopefully out of Irving. All right. Uh, is Sumitomo involved at all with you there in that project? Uh, Sumitomo is fully aware of this project. Uh, they do not have an interest in the project. Um, you know, that, that said, they do have a close relationship with Newmont, so, uh, you, you know, I would leave it at that. You never know. Okay. Very good. A lot of exciting things happening, uh, Quentin. Uh, definitely, uh, what, what's the next thing we can look for from Novo then? What, what's the next driver that might get people excited about your story? That's where I wanted to take this. Right now, we are bulk sampling. We've got uh, several samples out of the ground. Ground, We've got everything refurbed. The camp's completely ready. New 20-man camp. We're, we're in it for the long haul. We've got the, the processing mill uh, set up. They are doing a bit of work on that in preparation for starting processing around early July. But the bulk sampling is underway, and we are going to have results, a very steady stream of results over the next few months out of Edgina. And starting about when? End of the summer? Uh, no, the results we can actually announce fairly quickly because the processing is real-time. Uh, we anticipate being able to start 
presenting the gold and, and whatnot we recovered. Look back to the news release late last year, and you'll see how we did it then. We'll do something similar with news releases going forward. All right. Thank you very much, Quentin. We'll have to leave it go at that. Out of time. Thank you so much for spending the time with us and uh, giving us an update on this very exciting story. Actually, two exciting stories, but we're focusing on Novo right now. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll hope to have you back again sometime soon. Thank you, Jake. All right, folks, uh, we have to go to a commercial break. Don't go away, because Ronald Storfoli, um, who is a co-author of In Gold We Trust, will be with us to talk about this year's uh, study. Some very important things that he's going to tell us, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Ronald Storfoli. Oren Resources is a copper gold exploration company pursuing the world's next major discoveries. It has seven projects, including two active flagships, Committee Bay in northern Canada and Sombrero in southern Peru. This summer will be one of the most exciting times in Oren's history as the company turns the drill at Sombrero for the first time ever. The project's impressive surface results have identified Sombrero as an analog to one of Peru's biggest mines. Oren is also implementing cutting-edge machine learning technology to unlock its highly prospective gold belt at Committee Bay. Visit OrenResources.com and subscribe to keep up with the company's busy year ahead. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Ronald Stofferly. Uh, Ronald is a chartered market technician. Uh, he was on with us last year, actually, uh, to discuss In Gold We Trust, which he uh, has co-authored uh, with Mark Valak. Uh, and, uh, but Ronald's background uh, in the financial markets for, for some time, but he is perhaps, uh, well, not perhaps, I think he is best known. Uh, for his six benchmark reports called In Gold We Trust. It has drawn international coverage and on CNBC, Bloomberg, and the Wall Street Journal, The Economist, and the Financial Times. 
very prestigious uh, publications, of course. Uh, so, Ronald, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you very much, Jay. I'm you know, sorry, I, I, but I have to correct you, but it's also the thir- already the 13th edition of Dingle We Trust. Oh, um, I'm writing it for, for quite a while now. And actually, we hit a new all-time high, at least in terms of the, the length of the report. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to we'll have to update our bio here, won't we? Uh, that is a, a bit embarrassing to realize you were doing it for that long. <laughs> I think in more recent years is when you started really getting a lot of coverage. Maybe yeah. since since gold really uh, hit its highs in 2011. Well, yeah. we're very short on time, and I, I as I went over your book, I, I said, "Good goodness, we we probably should have you on a number of times because almost every chapter in this book is, um, you know, would be the content for a 25 minute." Uh, segment. So I, I want to ask you to start out, though, by t- uh, asking you to tell our listeners how they can get a copy of it. Now, this is corporate supported, and, and one of our sponsors, uh, Novo Resources, I note, is one of your yeah. sponsors. So this is this is free of charge, and people can actually uh, download it, I guess, can't they? And where do they go to uh, to do that? Yes. Uh, actually, um, the report is, is available totally for free um, in a compact version which is still 110 pages and then there is also um, the extended version which is uh, 340 pages Mm -hmm. so it is quite an extensive read but there are just so many interesting things to cover these days that we thought okay um, yeah we have to to write such a uh, massive report again Um, it is available for free just uh, google in gold we trust 2019 on our webpage it's it's free to download it uh, uh, in gold we trust dot li which stands for Liechtenstein mm-hmm. and there you can also subscribe for all of our other publications um, well the report um, we've got as it's a, a, a massive investment on our side there are 15 people involved with oh. you know crunching the numbers with proofreading editing um, getting all the data so 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 we've really got the cream of the crop in the in the gold mining space and in the gold space in general that support us because we said you know, we really want to get the word out. Um, also, make a positive case for gold. How fit? How gold fits in your portfolio? Not only for for people, I would say, in our camp, but also for the generalists. So we write quite extensively about the portfolio characteristics of gold, for example, how gold performs in different stages of a recession. So. Yeah, um, just invite all your listeners to 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 study the uh, 2019 edition. I think it's it's really worth the time. Well, there's so much there, and it uh, it really deals with geopolitical aspects of, of gold. Uh, I, well, let's get into some of the topics, and yeah. uh, we'll do the best we can. First of all, I'd like to. I noticed that you start out your 2019 annual report on gold with the observation that trusts trusts of all kinds of institutions is not what it used to be, uh, whether it's the news media, churches, big business, yeah. governments, central banks, what have you, there is a, uh, a decline in trust. So talk to our listeners about why that is so important if you're going to have a, uh, a coherent, thriving society. Yeah, I mean, 
um, I think trust is is often underestimated. Yeah, we, we we all take it for granted, but but all human interactions are based on trust. Whether it's with your with your uh, uh, partner, with your business partner, whether um, you 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 jump a plane, you you trust the pilot that he's doing a good job, and you trust the airline company that they've been servicing the plane. So trust is really essential in every part of our life, and it seems that this trust is crumbling at the moment in media, in politics, um, in society in general. We are seeing that um, people are questioning uh, uh, beliefs. Uh, they are questioning democrat- the democracy itself. We're quoting quite a lot of studies saying that actually the millennials, they don't care about democracy anymore. They want to have a strong leader, either on the very right or on the very left side of the spectrum. It is no coincidence that populists win elections all over the globe. So mm-hmm. I think this this crumbling trust is unfortunately um, uh, a secular trend that we're uh, in the middle of. And where there's still quite a lot of trust is central banking, is the U.S. economy, and is the U.S. dollar. But the interesting thing about trust is it's highly asymmetrical. So it takes years, decades, sometimes centuries to build up that trust, mm-hmm. but that trust is broken and lost very, very quickly, sometimes mm-hmm. just in a moment. So yeah. from my point of view, um, at some point, the, the, the markets will find out the emperor has no clothes. They will lose trust in the US dollar, in the Federal Reserve. And, and I think that gold should be a, a pretty good safe haven in that environment. Well, we certainly aren't cheering for that loss of trust just so we can have, yeah. uh, just so we can gain wealth yeah. by owning gold. As a matter of fact, I think we want to own gold as a safety uh, precaution against those kind of events that you're talking about. But uh, to what extent, Peter, do you think that this lack of trust uh, is playing into the hoarding of gold by central banks? You notice uh, you, you talk a lot and provide a lot of, a lot of data and evidence that China, Russia, uh, central banks, especially those that are adversarial, uh, central banks of adversarial countries to the United States, seem to be building up uh, their gold reserves. Is this uh, is this a, a repercussion of a lack of trust geopolitically? Would you say? Yeah, uh, I think it's it's clearly a sign of the de-dollarization that we're we're writing about for for quite a quite some years now. Mm-hmm. Um, Last year, we have seen that central banks bought uh, 657 tons of gold, which is the highest amount of purchases since 1971. It is not only Russia, China, India, Kazakhstan, Turkey. It is also some uh, European Union countries like Poland or Hungary. Um, mm-hmm. j- just just a, a fantastic quote by the Hungarian central bank uh, about its first gold purchases. They say... In normal circumstances, gold has a confidence-building feature. It may play a stabilizing role and act as a major line of defense under extreme market conditions. Um, In addition, gold continues to be one of the safest assets which can be related to individual properties such as the limited supply of physical precious metals which is not linked with credit or counterparty risk. And I mean, that's the, the Hungarian Central Bank is saying that. It seems that they are readers of the In Gold We Trust report, but it clearly shows that uh, on an international level, 
um, I think there's also this loss of trust that we're seeing, yeah, and this repatriation trend that is picking up. So Germany, um, 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 uh, Holland, but also Austria repatriating the gold holdings, bringing the gold back home. That's a clear evidence of this loss of trust. Mm-hmm. For sure, um, and and so the German, so a lot of the European central banks are adding gold, uh, physical gold, if uh, if either. Uh, either going out and acquiring more gold, or they're having their gold repatriated, which is, as you suggest, is, a, is certainly um, suggesting a lack of trust. Well, China is doing a lot of other things too, besides importing gold. They're certainly setting up the uh, the, the one belt, one road uh, structure, which is just a huge infrastructure that they're building up uh, that allows trade for a number of con- uh, countries, and I think the United States. Uh, is one of the few countries that is really a, really trying to um, stay away from that kind of uh, from uh, hooking up with China in its one belt one road. I, you know, like Canada is involved or, or potentially involved. Yeah. Australia, of course, down in that part of the world. But do you see um, this is also Russia is, is very much a part of that. Russia can provide the raw materials. China, of course, with its population, has a demand for those raw materials. What do you make of, of all the things that are going on, uh, uh, alternative ways to trade and move money around, of course, maybe Bitcoin or some of those cryptocurrencies come into play somewhere down the road? Well, when it comes to China, um, we dedicated a, a, quite a large chapter about uh, China uh, uh, and especially the Chinese gold market in this mm-hmm. year's report because for the very first time, we're also publishing the report not only in German and in English, but also in Mandarin. So, oh. so um, yeah, this is a, quite a big step for us because China is at the moment the, the biggest producer, but also the largest consumer of gold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that... You know the the whole de-dollarization topic. Um, I think that 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 many commentators are a bit naive and think you know the renminbi will replace the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency very soon. I think that's you know uh, Rick Rule once said um, the U.S. dollar is a is a lie, but it's a very very liquid lie, and <laughs> you know. Just the, 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 the dimensions of, of, of trade and settlements in the U.S. dollar compared to the renminbi and, and the depth of the capital markets and the sophistication of capital markets, it clearly shows me that that's still um, yeah, a, a, a long time in the, in the future that we'll really see um, a competition from, from the renminbi uh, to the U.S. dollar. However, we are seeing so many, so many small steps that actually the Chinese want to diversify out of the dollar. Um, they're building up gold reserves. They're not investing uh, into U.S. treasuries anymore. On the other hand, um, they are very active when it comes to, to, to gold. As I've said, they became the, the by far the largest producer a couple of years ago, and they will continue to be the largest producer. Um, they are building their their infrastructure for gold trading, but also for, for the oil trade. Um, just to give you one number, Jay, uh, uh, the Chinese introduced the Shanghai Oil Future only last year in spring. And now they already got 12% market share in the oil market, which is oh. by far the biggest commodity market. So yeah. that's, that's an enormous success. And 
And, you know, I think that the whole trade war that is going on, um, when, when I'm talking to, to, to Chinese colleagues, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite often in China nowadays, um, it seems that they're pretty relaxed about it. They, they know that Donald Trump wants to win an election in 2020, and they know that they don't have to uh, care about any elections. <laughs> so, Over there, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so they, I think they are really playing the long game, very strategic um, um, uh, thinkers. And, and I think the one belt, one road, there's this chin- Chinese proverb, one generation builds the road on which the next one drives. And I think this perfectly describes this long-term thinking of the Chinese. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the uh, Belt and Road Initiative, it, 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 it encompasses 68 countries and, and, and regions which are home to, to around half the global population. And, and it currently uh, generates around one-third of global GDP. So it is a huge infrastructure produ- uh, project. Um, I think there's lots of moving parts. But from my point of view, um, um, gold plays a role in that uh, 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 in that one belt one road um, we, we, we for example we're showing the gold reserves of the central banks and especially the gold deposits of all the participants uh, of the Belgian road Inis- initiative and it's massive so yeah, um, yeah uh, uh, I think this is definitely something to watch and of course uh, the Chinese you know trade is 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 is, 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 is one of the most important peacemakers or peacekeepers, probably. Mm-hmm. So I think it's also to to you know to increase the the the, the uh, cooperation between China and those uh, uh, other countries. Mm-hmm. Indeed, and it seems as though the United States isn't too keen on having that happen. They want yeah. to control the sea lanes, uh, you know, the South China Sea and so forth. But let me ask you, Peter. So. The Shanghai oil exchanges captured 12% of the market, you said, of the oil market. Uh, if they can continue to grow that oil market like that, uh, might that not underpin the, their own currency? Uh, yes, yes and no. Um, I, I, I think that, um, you know, many, many, <laughs> there's, there's uh, I think, uh, many, many, many commentators making the case for significantly lower renminbi uh, mm-hmm. And actually, many people think that it will uh, rise significantly. I think um, w- where we're standing at the moment is just uh, just the level that the Chinese wants to see. I think the um, the devaluation that we have seen over the last couple of weeks this is definitely something that they 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 try to scare Donald Trump. Um, but everybody who thinks that um, 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 actually they want to be uh, uh, the trade and the, and, and the reserve currency um, with uh, some sort of a, a gold-backed uh, renminbi, I think this is uh, a bit naive because I think a strong renminbi is the very least that they want. Mm-hmm. Because at the moment we are seeing um, uh, definitely uh, a weaker Chinese economy Essentially, we're seeing a, a, a global slowdown in 95% of all countries. Economic numbers are coming in weaker than one year ago. But 
And this is important. The Chinese started this monetary U-turn already in fall. So they, 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 they lowered the reserve requirements. They put in massive fiscal stimulus. And so I think the bottom in commodity markets and also in, 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 uh, uh, in the gold market is also kind of influenced by this Chinese U-turn. So mm-hmm. um, actually they were the first ones and now we're seeing this massive U-turn by the Federal Reserve with um, lowering rates two or three times this year with um, 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 ending or finishing quantitative tightening much, much earlier. And I think sooner or later we will see new rounds of, 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 of quantitative easing, um, perhaps at some point even negative rates, MMT, uh, you name it. Mm-hmm. Well, it sure seems like that's what's heading our way for sure. Uh, you you did you have a couple chapters devoted to uh, Bitcoin. On pages two forty two through two fifty four, you address gold versus Bitcoin and ask the question whether the two linked together might be stronger. Uh, could you share some of your thoughts on on that on that topic? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we, we are following Bitcoin and the crypto scene um, for many years already. So so already four years ago, we, we, we wrote the first time about Bitcoin. Uh, and, and I think there are many, many similarities between gold and Bitcoin. And actually, uh, uh, Bitcoin was kind of designed uh, as, a, as a digital gold because there's, you know, the stock to flow ratio is very similar. So you've got a natural built-in low inflation. I think it's no coincidence that you're mining for Bitcoin, that the Mm. logo of Bitcoin is actually a a gold coin. And from my point of view, you know, uh, we we have seen this crypto winter, but now Bitcoin is 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 is, is up at nine thousand again. But it's still no no big big topic. And actually, my thesis is that the cycles in Bitcoin are so much shorter. So those boom and bust cycles, because there is almost no debt involved. And 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 normally in a normal financial um, um, market crisis and bull and bear market, there's much more debt involved and this debt has to be restructured or written off and so on. So those bear market phases take longer. But with mm-hmm. Bitcoin, we have seen it has been a very brief and brutal bear market and now we are up again. So um, from my point of view, Bitcoin makes sense from a portfolio point of view. There's a very, very little uh, correlation between gold and Bitcoin. We're actually doing um, a fund now where we are um, doing a rebalancing strategy between gold and Bitcoin. And, and, and yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty positive when it comes to um, competing currencies. Uh, you know, competition makes every market better. So why shouldn't it make currency markets better? Well, this is something I'd certainly like to talk to you about more, but my engineer is telling us we have less than three minutes left. So uh, let me just ask you, um, since we cover gold stocks, I write about them and, and, and research them. Uh, you said in uh, one of your chapters, anyway, on page 263, you raised the question, after the creative destruction, a bull market, question mark, what are your thoughts about the gold share markets now? And, and do you think they could be poised for something uh, more positive on the upside in the years to come. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about the the outlook for the mining stocks. Um, I think we've seen massive creative dis- destruction in the sector. I think that the companies really they they most of them did a tremendous job just cleaning their balance sheets, uh, getting leaner, and, and we've seen the recent M and A wave. Um, 
clearly reinforces our positive uh, assessment. And and actually, I think at the moment we're seeing um, the highest leverage on rising gold prices ever. So uh, if gold goes goes to fourteen fifty, fifteen hundred, and this can happen uh, definitely this year. I think we will see a great run in the in the mining stocks. And actually, Jay, nobody from the generalists at the moment is invested in gold and especially no. not in mining stocks. And just the last thing that I want to say, I, we're, we're talking to lots of uh, uh, wealth managers, um, institutional players and so on. Fourth quarter 2018 was a big warning shot. So basically every asset class was down, but gold was up 7% and mining yeah. stocks were up 14%. So mm-hmm. gold reappeared on the watch list of many, many really investors with deep pockets. And I mm-hmm. think as soon as we're above this resistance zone, I think there's going to be lots of momentum kicking in. All right. We'll have to leave it at that. That's certainly in uh, in concert with what Michael Oliver told us in the first segment of today's show as well. We can get through that 1360, 1350, 1360 level. Uh, we could see a very rapid rise from there. Peter, I want to thank you so much for spending your time with us. Lots of things to talk to you about. I, I want to get your opinion on a lot of other topics if we can have you back sometime in the near future. Anytime. Thank you very much, Jay. All have right. Thank one. you. Thank you so much, Peter. All right, Thank folks, you. well, next week, um, next week with John Rubino will be our main guest, Michael Oliver, as well. And uh, I do expect to have a surprise guest, too. So uh, until next week, next Tuesday, in fact, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 